Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi everyone and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, episode number 39. And in this episode, we'll discuss a little bit about robo-advisory service um, you may have heard about them. There's loads of ads on TV about them, um, and there's loads of ads on YouTube and online about them. You might have come across a company called Spaceship Voyager, which is uh, a form of robo-advisory service. Uh, they're completely app-based. Um, so I think it's worthwhile del- delving into what they are and what are the pros and cons and how that might fit into your investment uh, profile and risk profile. Now, before we get on to the main topic... Um, you know, for those that are new to this podcast channel, thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing. Um, over time, I've noticed the subscriber base has slowly increased. Uh, this is nothing to do with being mainstream or anything like that, but it's all about trying to learn about financial products and personal finance topics and um, uh, and strategies uh, to be used in your own personal finances. Uh, I'm not a financial advisor, so if you need anything tailored to your personal finance, then it's probably worthwhile hiring one. This is all about basic principles and strategies and concepts in personal finance. Um, now, the motto of this podcast channel is using the pay yourself first approach, and that is you take 20% of your after-tax income and put it away and save it and invest it. And when you get the dividends from those investments, you reinvest those dividends and you do it every month or every week or whatever fixed term cycle that you might have, and you do it forever. And the chances are, if you do it for a long time, 20, 30, or 40 years, because we're long-term investors and long-term savers, the chances are, if you do that, then you're going to retire a very, very wealthy person. But it takes discipline. And the way to reduce and minimize risk of not having discipline is to automate this. And that's why I sort of feel that if you try and save up to 20% of your after-tax income, and automate it into a savings and investment accounts so that it's money that you never see, therefore it's money that you can't touch, feel, or spend, then if you just do it and just learn to live on the other 80%, then the chances are that um, you're more likely to follow through with it over a long term. So thanks for listening and thanks very much for the feedback. Um, And just going on that um, sort of feedback topic, I actually got a recent Facebook message um, from someone who basically asked me, is there any rules for having a high savings rate? You know, what if you want to save more than 20%? Are there any rules or sort of strategies or, you know, definitions of what is a peak savings rate? Um, I actually didn't know the answer to that. Um, I have my own answer for it, and I did some research on it. Um, And, you know, we've talked about um, FIRE, which is Financial Independence Retire Early, and they have very high savings rate. But that doesn't seem to be any sort of algorithmic rules based on the stage of your life that you might be at. So I sort of looked at, reflected on my own finances over the last sort of, you know, 10 to 12 years since I, you know, became an intern as a a young doctor. And I thought, 
well, what have I done? And perhaps that can be used as a potential gold standard or perhaps used uh, in your own life. Um, But granted that what I'm probably going to tell you is probably going to scare you a little bit because I was relatively aggressive in my younger days. Um, And then I've sort of settled on that sort of 20% rule, which seems to be more applicable to a vast majority of um, Australians. Um, So uh, basically, uh, you know, this person sort of said they're saving um, up to 70 to 75% of their after-tax income. So they're single, they're not married, they don't have any kids. So they're saving 70 to 75% of their after-tax income. And they asked me, is that appropriate? Is that something, uh, is, is, there, is there a target? Uh, should they be saving 80% or should they be saving 90%, whatever it is? Um, and I guess the, the answer to that question is there are no hard and fast rules um, because your savings rate is based on what you can save and that depends on what your income is and what your outgoings and expenses are and how much you can cut those expenses and how much you can increase your income. But I'd say if you're single and you're saving 70 to 75% of your after-tax income, I think that's a phenomenal effort. Um, and I think that's, um, that's, that's probably, I'd say, close to benchmark standards. So I sort of looked at my own personal experience over the last sort of 12 years. Um, and when I was single um, and, uh, you know, as a, as a young budding doctor working my ass off really as an intern, which you have to back in the day, um, my savings rate was around 70% of my after-tax income. Um, then, you know, got married, you know, couple-wise, um, tried to save about 50% of my after-tax income. Now, if you're a dual-income family, then you might save one person's income and just live off the other person's income for your expenses on your daily expenses and your uh, fixed expenses. That's a pretty easy strategy. Uh, I know a lot of dinks do that, that it's dual-income, no kids. Um, so 50% if you're a couple, I think is a pretty good target. Um, first child, um, probably 30 to 40%. Uh, children are quite expensive. You know, everything um, that you have to buy for them, nappies, clothes, cots. I always find that clothes for children are as expensive as adults, uh, despite getting probably 10% of the material. So it's really interesting how uh, there's a bit of price gouging, I think, with um, uh, using the emotional sort of uh, element to try and sell products to parents who think, all oh, their kids are very cute and they go out and buy and all this sort of expensive stuff. And certainly, we did that when we first had our firstborn. When I bought all this stuff, we probably didn't need because I was really excited. I was going to be a parent. Um, but retrospectively, for our second child, we just sort of calmed the farm a little bit. And we had a lot of stuff that we had from the first child that we were able to use for the second child. We didn't really throw away the major big ticket items like the bassinet and the cotton, all that sort of stuff. But I think for the first child, if you sort of aim to save about 30 to 40%, um, if you're a very high saving sort of type of family and person and then after your second child and third child you know you sort of settle on the sort of um, standard 20% of after-tax income now you may need to vary this rule and again this is not you know hard and fast rules this is based on my own personal experience if you have more children or less children if you have no children uh, or other family commitments you might have elderly parents or family that you need to spend money on or look after but hopefully this gives you a bit of a rough guide And this person, when they asked me that question on Facebook, I thought about it and I went, that's a fantastic savings rate for someone who's single. Um, And I think if they sort of implement this strategy uh, for their own life moving forward, once they get married and and have kids, if they ever do that, et cetera, 
then I think they'll be well on their way in terms of retirement um, uh, funds and, and, and sort of in terms of having you know enough retirement savings, um, uh, probably more than what they'll ever need, to be honest. Um, again, just to stress, it really is a rough guide. If you're not able to save 75% and you're listening to this podcast and you're single and you're sort of you know, thinking you're, 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 you're probably not doing a great job, that is not the point of it. I think if you save the 20%, which is a modest amount, um, and just put it away. I think that's quite clearly acceptable. You don't need to benchmark yourself against some very, very aggressive um, uh, savers out there. You know, it really depends on how much you want to live life, etc., and how much you want to save and how much you want to spend on luxuries. Um, you know, you need to enjoy life as well. And I've sort of realized as I've gotten a bit older and wiser, etc., that, um, you know, having a savings rate of 75% is not really sustainable unless you have a super, super, super high income and you live uh, a very, very modest life. So it's a rough guide. Uh, again, it may come across as a very aggressive savings rate. So make sure you calculate the rates based on your own personal circumstances. So that's that. Now to the main topic, what is a robo-advisory service? Um, Look, it's become more and more popular, particularly in the last five years, even in Australia. Um, And basically, the robo-advisor or the robo-advisory service performs the same function as any traditional financial advisor. Instead of using humans, they use computers and complex algorithms to provide financial plans to consumers. And the way this works is that it enables the consumers to have automated investment plans based on their goals of investment. So if you go to any robo-advisory service, there's plenty out there in Australia, and we'll talk about specific ones later in the podcast, you need to provide your personal details, you need to provide your investment goals, uh, and your investment time frame, and your appetite for risk. And they have specific pro forma questions that they ask um, for you to sort of fill out, and based on what answers that you give um, uh, to those questions, they then go ahead and give you that sort of um, uh, profile for yourself. Okay, so it's not it's not ultra personalized, but it is personalized to some extent, um, and they base you on the categories of risk and the investment goals and the investment time frame. And then the robo advisory service then generates a recommended investment portfolio. Now, most robo-advisors are based on exchange-traded funds, which we've discussed before in episode 33, where we discussed index funds versus exchange-traded funds. And I think it's useful to sort of, you know, um, go back and listen to that if you um, haven't listened to what the differences are. And um, and so so how does it actually work, right? So it's all technology-based. It's using the power of technology. They use mathematical models for investing in order to create correct asset allocations based on your risk profile. It's not perfect. And of course, it's not entirely ultra-personalized, which we've talked about before. It just puts you at a basket based on a risk tolerance. So they might have risk tolerances, mild, mild, moderate, 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 risky or risky. And then they just put you on those sort of baskets based on the type of answers that you provide to the type of questions or risk profile questions that they give you. Um, so you can't really have too much variance in your risk profile and risk tolerance. Um, so you may only get a few categories of asset classes, which then allows the existing algorithms to create the appropriate portfolios for you. So they might say you know, some of it goes in bonds, some of it goes in cash, some of it goes in real estate, some of it goes into the stock market, and out of the stock market, some of it goes into international shares, and some of it goes into domestic shares. So it really depends on your risk profile and your investment time frame and your investment goals. Okay, the whole aim of robo advisory service is very similar to the aim that I try and tell 
people that are investing or saving. That is to take away the emotion out of the trades. That's the whole aim of it. Because if you take away the emotion, you're far more likely um, to do uh, a successful sort of investing, uh, investing, and you're far less likely to make stupid, stupid mistakes in trading. Okay. So what are the advantages? Okay, well, remove the emotion when we talked about earlier. So definitely when making the trades, you remove that emotion. Number two, low cost. The management fees for robo-advisory services are often very low. Now, we discussed uh, fees in previous podcasts when investing because fees, if you don't take that into account, it can definitely kill your investment in the 20, 30, 40-year time frame. So it's really important to pay attention to that. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go ahead and listen to it. Um, so you don't want to you know, pay a huge amount of fees. And robo-advisory services have very, very low fees. Now, if you have a look at the stats, only 20% of Australians seek financial advice. So this means 80% of Australians that don't seek financial advice may actually benefit from robo-advisory services due to its extremely low cost uh, because the cost is up to 90% cheaper than traditional advisory firms. So really what these robo-advisory firms are targeting, uh, they're targeting the majority of Australians who don't go out and seek financial advice because it's just so expensive in this country. Um, generally speaking, labor cost and seeking advice or providing a service-based industry service is going to be very expensive. So if they can automate it and reduce that sort of human interaction, that's how they reduce the cost. And that's exactly what robo-advisory services do. So worthwhile discussing about the historical features of robo-advisory, how do they come about? Like most financial products, it started in the United States. So, you know, we're big companies like Betterment, uh, Wealthfront, and uh, Future Advisory Services. Um, they're big companies in the United States. Charles Schwab is another one. It's a big company which is getting into this. And I think Vanguard, if I'm not mistaken, is also getting into this, but not in Australia. I don't think Vanguard do it in Australia. I think they do do it in the United States. Now, looking at the Australian companies that offer robo-advisory services, one of the first companies was Stockspot. Uh, It was launched in 2013. Um, They basically have five um, risk tolerance profiles. They use EFTs to invest across five asset classes, Oz shares, global shares, emerging markets, bonds and gold. And their fee structure I find is a bit strange. It's worthwhile going into that. So if you have an account balance of about $2,000, they have a fee of about $5.50 per month, which is... 0.275% per month for about $2,000. And as you have more in your portfolio, for example, you have $5 million, the fee drops to about 0.033% per month. Interestingly, looking at the fee structure, it's designed per month. It's not designed per year. Whereas most of the other companies that I'm used to, they have fee structures which is designed per year. So when I first looked at it, I went, oh yeah, 0.033% is extremely cheap, but then it's per month. So you've got to add it up for the year. So we compare this to Vanguard, for example, for the same $5 million in index funds, particularly in wholesale funds, because if you've got $5 million, you're more likely you know, going to need wholesale funds. You're not going to have it in retail funds, which the fees are slightly higher. The stock pot uh, fees per year comes to about $19,800. Now, don't get me wrong, that's extremely cheap for a $5 million portfolio, but the same amount of money in Vanguard wholesale funds in Australian shares would be just $9,000. So it costs more than twice as much for Stockspot as it does for um, Vanguard. And for what benefit? 
Well, the benefit I'm guessing is that you're getting some sort of automated advisory service, whereas the index funds and Vanguard is basically just whatever the index does is what your fund will do. So I'm not really sure that paying the extra 10 grand is going to be worth it. Now, that's why generally I'm not a great fan of robo-advisors. It really depends on the fee structure. So you've got to look into it really, really carefully. Um, and I'm not purposely having a go at Stockspot because I'm sure they're a reliable company. You know, I've heard the CEO and founder talk on YouTube and given interviews and, uh, and other podcasts. And he sounds like a really, really you know, smart individual. I think he's obviously targeting you know, a certain bunch of Australians um, for these sort of services. And I think the service is quite legit. And I'm sure it's a great company. But I guess the extra fees is for the advice which is robotic that you receive. So I don't see the value in it personally. That's why I don't invest any money in robo-advisors in general. Okay, um, so maybe I have it all wrong. Uh, I'd be interested to you know hear some comments and feedback about this as to your experience. If you've been a client of robo-advisors, I'm really interested to hear from you, but certainly it's not something that I'm you know doing at the moment and I have no intention of doing it in the future. So there are some other companies in Australia that do offer robo-advisory services. Investmart is another one. Um, it's actually headed by uh, Paul Clitheroe, I think it is. Now, remember in the 90s when I was a child, there was a great show called The Money Show on Channel 9. I used to love it, um, where Paul Clitheroe would go into people's houses and have a look at their finances and talk about tips and tricks about money. Um, now, I'm a great fan of Paul Clitheroe. I think he's fantastic. He's, um, you know, he's the chairman of the Australian, um, some sort of financial board, I think. And I think he's also maybe part owner or part advisor for Investmart. So it's a really good company. And I really do think that, um, he's a very trustworthy person, he knows what he's talking about. Um, so Investmart, basically, they, they recently started um, introducing cap fees, for example, which might uh, be worth it. So you need to look into that. So, for example, the diversified portfolio has a cap fee of $451 per annum after $82,000 in investments. So up to $82,000, you pay $451, and after that, you pay nothing. But remember, that's just a fees for the investment invest part management fee, but you need to also factor in brokerage fees because remember these are ETFs. So their fees is only their management fee. So if you have low brokerage fees, it might actually work out for you. So you need to factor that in. Otherwise it becomes very, very expensive. So you don't want to be losing too much money on brokerage fees. And again, if you don't know what the difference between EFTs and index funds are, go back and listen to the podcast, Google it, research it, know more about it. Um, Spaceship Voyager, I mentioned it earlier today, um, earlier in this podcast, beg your pardon. Um, now, you might have seen lots and lots of YouTube ads recently about this and on TV as well. They're mainly app-based, so they're an application for Android and uh, Apple. I don't know whether they have apps for Microsoft platforms. I'm not sure. Uh, they have two basic portfolios, the index portfolio, which is the ASX200, um, and they have the universe portfolio, which is uh, 100 hand-picked global companies, and the management fee is actually pretty reasonable. It's 0.1% per annum for the Universe product, or 0.05% for the ASX 200 index product. So the fees are very competitive, but this is a relatively new company, which makes me a little bit nervous, and I'm not sure whether there's brokerage associated with this, so you need to look it up. Uh, they have a very good informative PDS uh, that you might want to read. There are other companies in Australia, Six Park, Ignition Direct, Quiet Zone, Raise Invest, more for micro-investments. Um, and I think they used to be called Acorns, if I'm not mistaken, where you'd go shopping and the leftover money, you know, if it's $4.90, then it'll round it up to $5 and the $0.10 cents automatically goes into micro-investments. And I think that's now called Raise. 
but I think the fee structure might be a little bit expensive. Clover, uh, there's also plenty. So there's heaps and heaps of robo-advisors. There are also other robo-advisors available within financial institutions. So it's not available to everyone. You need to be a financial institution member or a customer of this company's. So Yellow Brick Road, um, I think it's Mark Boris. He's the guy that used to do the Australian Apprentice. He runs a company called the Guru Service. NAB, National Australia Bank, has something called Prosper. Uh, you may have seen ads for this uh, on TV as well. Uh, so they're sort of financial institutions that are offering robo-advisory services to their clients as well. So at the end of the day, there's plenty of options in Australia, um, just like there are overseas, and this space is growing. More and more people are getting into it because, let's face it, the majority of Australians don't employ advisors because maybe we don't trust them, particularly with the Royal Commission just happening around the corner just recently. So um, so these robo-advisory services um, are targeting people um, who might not want to you know, pay loads and loads of money to get human advisors, but are happy to pay a little bit of money to get some automated robotic advisory service. And I think if you're into that sort of stuff, I think it's well worth having a look and researching the different companies out there. So my opinion, well, I think if you're looking for low fees, be wary, like we discussed about, low fees may not actually be low fees. You need to factor in brokerage, etc. Robo-advisory services may be for you. I personally invest in Vanguard. I only invest in index funds. They have a robo-advisory service in the US, but not in Australia. I'm not sure whether they're going to introduce it in Australia. I just find the index fund in Vanguard are quite cheap. They're easy. They're mind-numbingly simple. Um, basically, just automated. It just be paid every single week into their account. Um, and that money hopefully will just keep growing over the long run. Um, and you just need to choose your risk profile based on the type of investments, the length of investments, how much money you have, the fees, uh, and also your risk tolerance. So that'll sort of come up with uh, the number of portfolios that are available based on those sort of factors for your own personal situation. So there is a market for people that like robo-advisory services. So in summary... Uh, we talked about some general rules, maybe, maybe general rules, maybe aggressive rules about um, high savings rates for people that are single, people that have just gotten married or have a partner or accountability partner, uh, people that have their first child or people that have their second child and beyond. And we sort of discussed, you know, if you really want to do more than 20% after tax, what are the general rules and principles to use behind that? So if you're single, aim for about 70, 75%. If you're married or accountability partner, aim for about 50%, live on one person's salary and use the other person's salary for investments and savings. The first child, about 30 to 40%, um, and the second child, about 20%, which is what I would generally recommend anyone to do, at least on a minimum, minimum basis. Um, so that's based on a Facebook um, person that um, basically messaged me, um, and I think they're doing a fantastic job. I think they were saving about 75% of their after-tax income, uh, albeit they're single. Um, we also talked about what is a robo-advisory service, uh, the advantages such as low cost, but you know, beware, you need to look at the brokerage fees that you use depending on the trading account that you're using. Um, basically, it's automated investments based on your risk tolerance. Um, some of them have minimum investments, others have no minimum investments, so you need to pick the one that's right for you. And they're becoming more and more popular in Australia because in Australia, people don't trust advisors because we've just had a massive Royal Commission into the way the financial institutions in this country have been literally scamming people um, and providing services and claiming advice services, and they haven't really been providing any service. So they're saying they're providing the service, and they're saying they're providing advisory service, but actually they've been charging clients left, right, and centre without actually telling them. So do your sums, 
uh, based on the risk profile. Have a look at the cost, have a look at the free structure, and have a look at all those companies and see if that interests you. So certainly worth a shot if you're interest, interested in that sort of automated uh, advisory service um, other than just investing in you know, mind-numbingly boring, simplified index funds. So thanks for listening. This is episode 39, Devaga Personal Finance. And don't forget the motto, try and save 20% of your after-tax income. Put it away, save, 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 and invest. And hopefully over the long term, 20, 30, 40 years, you'll end up retiring with more money than you'll ever need. And remember, that means you can give away more money that you'll ever need as well. So giving to charities that you like, giving to good causes that you like, and also family and friends who might need some assistance financially as well. Investing for the long term, that's the motto. Don't look at the stock market. Just keep investing, keep saving at least. You know, Try and get into the habit and doing it on a regular basis. Reinvest the dividends. And if you have any questions, don't forget, you can always contact me. I'm not a financial advisor. I don't claim to be. So if you want financial advice, better to go to a, a financial advisor who's qualified and who may be able to be providing advice tailored to your circumstances. But certainly I'm more interested in that you understand the personal finance concepts, which can then be easily applied in your life. So you'd find that you may not actually need much financial advice. It's more about learning the personal concepts and just applying them. So until next time, that's going to be episode 40. We've done 40 episodes and it's almost going to be about 12 months since I started this podcast channel. Um, stay safe. And until next time, this is Devaraka Personal Finance and thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.